So for the next couple episodes, we're going to stick to baseball. I think this is the time of year where the juices really get flowing. Even now you're listening to this, hopefully in 2023, we're still in a pandemic and we had a shortened 2020 baseball season. But heading into 2021, it's been exciting. We realize that the free agent market has been slow, but that happens. We, you have to accept the fact that teams with no money, and I know that we like to um, bring up this fact that owners, uh, I think people have this perception of business owners that they have all of this extra capital. They might, but with anything, think about your savings and the money that you have. Your business is your job. The money that you have in your accounts is what you use, right? Are you going to dip into your 401k for an investment that might not work? That's what you have to think of owners. I know we don't like to do that with sports, but you have to. Everything is a risk. Is it worth a baseball owner to dip into his pockets of ridiculous amounts because he has that money? For what? It's, it doesn't work that way, and that's why a lot of us are not business owners. They know what they're doing. They did not become billionaires on accident. Yeah, some have silver spoons. We know that. But someone like Arthur Blank, who developed Home Depot when he was a teenager and built that into an empire, I think he knows what he's doing with money. All right, so I know that the, that, that is slow right now, but it's still exciting because it's almost that time for pitchers and catchers to report. And I've, you know, what I love about this podcast is I, I've always said it's great therapy. It's great to get on here and talk to all of you. And I think you guys all know how to find me now. Just search behind the mic, but make sure you smash that like and subscribe and leave a comment on iTunes. Would love to get those comments up to 100. We're at 18 comments right now at a good five-star rating. Like to, to push that up even more. So we're going to stick with baseball for the next couple of episodes. Looking to have a special guest from the 2004 Red Sox team on in a future episode. Maybe the next one, maybe the one after that, maybe a two-parter. You'll see. We're going to have one today. We're going to do a flashback interview in, uh, in just a few minutes. But what I like about this, again, just to, to go back, I always go off on tangents, is this time of year, you know, for me, I'm so used to being in one spot for so long. At 47 years old, I spent 15 years in one place. And year after year, it gets formatted where you have the season, and I'm talking about working in Portland, having the baseball season, having time off, having the off season. Then January would come, and this is when I would always host the the Sea Dogs Hot Stove Dinner, which I am certainly going to miss hosting that dinner. It was for charity. All of our fans were there. I was on stage interviewing four to five guests, and I absolutely loved it. So... I've thought about that a lot lately and and doing some charity work that we would do in the community, and I miss that. That's one thing that um, we do this time of year that that, um, I'm not doing it. Maybe it's something that I try to do on my own because I I really miss doing it. So it it, it had the baseball in my mind, and I've seen a lot of uh, great baseball players passing away with Hank Aaron and Tommy Lasorda and Don Sutton. A lot of those are are tied into my childhood. Um, I recently posted... This time last year, I was in Los Angeles. I was at Dodger Stadium this time last year. And I always, you know, you think of Tommy and Vince Scully, and I grew up, a, you know, a kind of a Dodger fan because they were on TV a lot. And you just, you, it's a, a reminisce time. That's what I've been doing a lot, a, a lot of reminiscing. And, you know, I, I thought 
about the interviews that we do are good, but I also, with the podcast being behind the mic about me, that I would love for people to hear some of the interviews I've done in the past. And this one that we will play today means a lot to me. Getting into this uh, business of being a baseball broadcaster is extremely rough. It's tough. I remember telling my dad that 99% don't even get to the minors, and he said, so what? Just be that 1%. I remember my dad telling me that. I started doing Legion Baseball. I picked a, a radio station, and you've probably heard this story, but uh, I'll do it again. It'll be quick. I picked WMRC in Milford, Mass. on purpose when I was in college to intern because they did Legion Baseball, and I was hoping I could be part of that broadcast. I was able to be part of that broadcast I did two solid years there that, that led me to an internship. And I remember when I came home one offseason, when I was in my first gig with the Potomac Cannons, they started as Prince William, and I reached out to um, Mr. Healy of the Red Sox, who I had done an interview with when I was in college for an independent study. He was the director of broadcasting. And I asked if I could uh, come up and shadow Joe and Jerry Trupiano. And he said, absolutely. I got a, a press pass for a day-night doubleheader. And Joe and Jerry were outstanding to me. And I remember Jerry telling me that I could give him a call and he'd give me any advice. And I remember coming home once uh, from a job, I believe, and my mom was like, hey, you should check the voicemail. It's I believe Jerry Trupiano called you. And he did. He called me. And he helped critique a tape that I was working on, and he remembered me years later. So this was, I think, it was late 90s. And then 2012, I'm hosting a talk show in Portland, Maine. Every Saturday, did that for six years, loved it. And I reached out to him on Facebook, and he remembered who I was. And, you know, Jerry was not the, the Red Sox voice, and he was someone that I absolutely loved. When I was working in radio at WMRC doing Legion Baseball, in addition to that, this was great training, and I tell all young broadcasters to do this. In the two years I was working at the radio station, I board-opt produced almost every single Red Sox game, and I listened. I did, you know, there's a difference when you're, you know, you're playing commercials. There's a difference just playing commercials and actually listening. And I listened, and I learned so much from Joe and Jerry, but Jerry had a personality and a approach and a style that I absolutely loved because he was so calm. He could call a play, and it was just, it was so perfect. You know, a routine ground ball to short, just the way he did it was perfect. But then he had that excitement, and I could tell how much he loved the team, even though he grew up in the Midwest. But I loved his style. Everyone makes fun of him, the back, 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 you know, whatever. Jerry was a true on-air personality, which we don't have much of anymore. We have a lot of robots now in broadcasting. I know that might offend some people listening, but it's my opinion, and I, and I believe it. We're all trying to sound the same. I, I'm glad that I don't sound you know, like that network announcer. I'm glad that I have a distinct Mike Antonellis. People know it's me because that's what fans want. Fans don't care about robots. All the... All the iconic broadcasters in the history of broadcasting had that personality. And we don't have that as much. You know, I grew up in a place where we did. You know, Johnny Most, maybe not the technically best-sounding broadcaster. Don Orsillo, personality. That's what wins people over. That's what I always wanted to be. I tell everybody this. 
be yourself. It is the best quality on the planet for any walk of life, especially as a broadcaster. And I absolutely think the world of Jerry Truppiano. And when I was thinking about an idea for the podcast this week, I said, you know what? Let's go back and listen to this. So this, you know, there's going to be parts of it that are outdated, but it's interesting because Jerry reveals a lot. He was an open book here. So this is nine years ago in the cold winter off-season in Maine. I interviewed Jerry Truppiano. Enjoy. Welcome back to this Saturday morning jab. Mike Antonellis, we've talked a lot of football pretty much all day, even though the Patriots are on a bye week. That's what the NFL does. Wild card game starting today, but we're going to switch gears to baseball. Jerry Truppiano joining us on the phone. Good morning, Jerry. How you doing? Morning. How are you? Doing pretty good. So we're just talking off the air. You're, you're doing stuff at the Sports Hub in Boston, and your schedule's kind of a little bit hectic of how this show works. Yeah, they, they uh, throw uh, something against the wall and see which day we should be on, and then they uh, put us on. Now, we're, we're having a good time over there. We're doing a bunch of after-dinner speeches as well, or talks or what have you, just trying to keep busy during a, a nice, mild winter, and I hope it stays this way. Well, Jerry, we certainly miss you on the Red Sox broadcast. And uh, how's, Has it been hard to, to not do baseball, or have you been able to, to transition into other things? I know your son played uh, professional baseball how have you been keeping your time? Uh, just, just uh, trying to, you know, keep the wolves from the door. Trying to keep, <laughs> uh, trying to keep involved with the game uh, through front office people I know, and you know, talking to scouts and what have you. But yeah, it's been hard when it's such a big part of your life. Uh, it's, it's like uh, losing one of your arms. Really, I don't want to be melodramatic, but uh, yeah, we miss it a lot. I was happy to see that, um, much to the chagrin of some of the folks over at Four Yaki Way, that. Uh, we made the uh, top 25 of all-time Major League calls by broadcasters, so that was uh, that was a nice little uh, treat before the holidays. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. I mean, you were there for the 2004 season. I mean, just an amazing run. The 2003 team was pretty darn good, but just talk about 2004 and how special that was because you're around the guys all the time. Yeah, it was. I, I said the best thing about that team when when you look back and and uh, look at that season. The best thing about that team was the ability to put the previous night's game or the previous day's game aside and, and focus on the game that was in front of them. And that was so important in that series against the, the Yankees. And we've all seen the, the films put out by Major League Baseball, the videos where Kevin Millar is, is telling uh, Dana Levangi, the, the bullpen catcher, as, as the guys are taking batting practice, don't let us win one. Don't let us win one. Don't let us stay alive. And we all know what happens uh, after that. They... You know, they're down three games to none. They win game four, and it was just an amazing feeling. And then they win uh, they, they win game four in the 14th inning, and they win uh, game five in the 12th inning. And then it, it was really unusual for me going into New York and feeling confident because we had seen so many things fall apart uh, for the Red Sox in New York. I, I just had the feeling they were going to get it done, and darn if they didn't. Yeah, well, you know, the big thing here now is the biggest collapse – in the history of baseball, but I, I still go back to, I mean, you're up three games to nothing in an American League Championship Series. Obviously, what happened to the Red Sox this year was worse, but if you took the odds of the Yankees losing that series, I mean, it's a billion to one. You know what? If, if, if you go back and look at game four 
and look at the ball Tony Clark hits down the right field line that goes into the stands for a ground rule double. If that stays in the park, Bernie Williams scores from first base. They bring in Mariano Rivera. They probably sweep that series, and history is completely different. But uh, but the baseball gods uh, were with the Red Sox that year, I guess. What did you think of what happened this year with Boston? It, it was disappointing, and I think uh, certainly the, the performance of the players was disappointing, but uh, the, the, the way that uh, Terry Francona was, was treated was uh, beyond uh, uh, reprehensible. It was, it was awful for what, uh, what was done to him, the, the dirt that was thrown on him, the way that, that he was dispatched and talked about behind his back and things leaked to the media. That, that, was, that was as bad as anything I've ever seen in professional sports. And, uh, I mean, if, if I could sit down with Terry, the one thing I would, I would say to him if I had one criticism is that he got too close to the players. I think you really need – look at the model of, of Tony La Russa, the, the Cardinals manager who stepped down at the end of the season. He always defended his players. He didn't throw his players under the bus, but there was always a boss-employee relationship. I think Terry just got too close to the players and – and I'll, I'll, I'll clean this up, but uh, Jackie Moore, who's the uh, bench coach for the Texas Rangers, we were together with the uh, Montreal Expos, and he had been on Billy Martin's coaching staff, and Billy Martin told him, look, when you depend on a player at, 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 the, at the last minute, when it's him or you, he's always going to, well, probably there's no way to clean it up, he's, he's going to let you down, let's just say it that, yeah. say it that way. So, uh I think, you know, uh, Terry trusted the guys a little too much, and they took advantage of it. Jerry, I think the Jets are going through that right now with Rex Ryan. Yeah, which which is hard to believe because, you know, as a defensive coach that, you know, he, he's, he's got this tough guy edge or what have you. But, yeah, there's, there's probably some of that uh, to, to, uh, to some extent. But uh, at, at the same time, I think they just got a lot of the wrong people uh, in New York, and they, they've got a lot more problems in their dressing room that I think the Red Sox have in their clubhouse. I think, I think uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with uh, Bobby Valentine and how he reacts or interacts with some of the people in that clubhouse because there's some strong personalities. And, and believe me, a lot of people are, are waiting in baseball just sitting back wondering how it's going to work out because they don't think it's going to work out. Jerry Truppiano joining us here on the Saturday Morning Jab. But don't you think that was probably a very good hire by the Red Sox only because – in spring training now, last year they a lot of people said that spring training was was kind of a country club. It's going to be different this year. I, I think the Red Sox ownership knows this is a controversial hire, but it might motivate guys. At the same time, I think the Red Sox ownership have have to take uh, a long look in the mirror because they've allowed it to become a, a country club. Yeah, I agree with you. Yep. You know, you, when when the club is struggling in September, you have a players only party. And as they come aboard a luxury yacht of one of the owners, you hand them $300 headsets, come on. I yeah. mean, let's get real. These guys are making a lot of money, and I don't begrudge any player any amount of money that he can make because the owners are willing to pay it. But uh, there should have been some leadership in that clubhouse, and I was a big, big uh, booster of, of Jason Veritek. And, you know, here, here's a guy who's supposedly the captain, but he's got to know what's going on. You know who's in the dugout, who's not in the dugout. You know what's going on. Uh, you know, and people will say, well, he's not the everyday catcher anymore. But he's got the, the letter on his jersey, which I think is, is baloney anyway to have that in baseball. But if you're going to make him his, uh, a captain, there's got to be some leadership. There's got to be leadership from a guy like uh, 
Dustin Pedroia or, or even a, a, a Kevin Euclid. So I, I know he was hurt, but there, there's got to be people in that in that clubhouse who who have to police themselves. It can't always be on the manager or on the coaching staff. Do you think it was a good thing probably for Theo to move on? I mean, maybe his his youth might have hurt. I know Jim Bowden was very critical of him saying that as a general manager. He probably should have gone in there too and said some stuff. Yeah, uh, he he should have. He should have been aware of, of what's going on. But, uh, you know, and I, I know he's a local guy and everything, but, but remember, too, he inherited a very good ball club. Oh, I know. When, when yeah. he took over the Red Sox. I mean, a lot of people uh, dismiss what Dan Duquette did here, and I know Dan was not very popular with the media. But when you when you leave a Manny Ramirez, when you leave a Pedro Martinez, a Derek Lowe, a Jason Veritek, a Johnny Damon, uh, Trot Nixon, who uh, the late Lou Gorman uh, drafted. There, there were some pretty good people on the staff, and certainly they needed the finishing touches of a of a of a folk and a uh, Schilling and some of the other uh, uh, people who were around. But uh, at, at the same time, you know, if if the guy's the GM, he was around that clubhouse a lot more than a lot of general managers, so he should have known what's going on as well. There's, believe me, there's a lot of blame to go around, and and most of it should go to the players. But there's a lot of blame to go around to ownership, to management, to the uh, manager, to the coaching staff. Jerry Truppiano joining us. Jerry, I'm going to embarrass you a little bit because uh, you did a great thing for me many years ago. I can't believe it's 2012, but you, I actually called you before. You called my house and left a message. I don't know if you remember that. You left a message on, on my parents' answering machine. I am yes, embarrassed. Ago. I don't remember. You, know, you guys let me sit in probably in 1998. In the booth. Oh, okay. And right. I, well, I mean that—that's—that's that's just uh, passing it on because Jack Buck, the late great Jack Buck, Hall of Fame broadcaster, used to get me. I—I I didn't do as much for you as, as he did for me, but you know, the, and a lot of that had to do with the configuration of Fenway Park. But uh, Bush Stadium, the the previous home to the to where the Cardinals are playing now, was one of those cookie cutter ballparks, and they'd have a bunch of empty booths. And Jack used to get me into a booth with a 20-pound tape recorder were back in those days before we had the miniature models. And, and I would practice my play-by-play, and he would listen to them and critique them. And, and to come full circle, to, to not bore you with the story, but I, I think it's kind of a neat story, at least it is to me. 2004, they play the Cardinals of the World Series. What booth did I work in yeah. with Joe Castiglione and I? We, we broadcast the World Series from the booth they used to practice in as a kid. Wow. That's amazing. I, you, the funny thing is, I can remember what game I sat in with you because it was a very controversial day. It was a day-night doubleheader, and it was the Carl Everett-Darren Lewis incident, I think, before game one. I, you, you probably remember that. Yeah, where, uh, where uh, Darren Lewis got into the face of Carl Everett. Carl yes. Everett, a lot of people have gotten into his face, including once in the dugout at Yan- uh, not at Yankee Stadium, but at Shea Stadium, where the New York Police Department there was a controversy with he and his wife and, and something with one of their children, and they went in to arrest Everett in the dugout. Oh. Uh, so, yeah, I, that, believe me, there were a lot of controversy days in, in those days over at Fenway Park. But you, you were able to sit in with us that day? Yeah, that was the day because it was a day-night doubleheader, and I think you, you guys had Dan Duquette on. used to bring him in live, I think, and I believe yeah, it just happened. Yeah. It, so it was kind of a weird vibe. So that was the first time I was ever up there, and there was a lot of drama. So I, I was just trying to not even move because I could tell that Dan Duquette didn't look happy because I think it happened before game one, and it, yeah. was, a, it was a very, very weird day. 
Yeah, well, back in those days, and I'm sure even to these days, uh, there, there's still a lot of those days. There seems to be a lot of drama over at Fenway Park. Uh, I, I, I don't know why. Uh, you know, we, we had 14 great years there. It was, it was a lot of fun, and we miss it, like we said before. But uh, the controversy, and I, I alluded to it earlier, the controversy extended to the uh, to the off season this year after the September collapse. The way the way Terry Francona was treated. Here's a guy who's going to be a Hall of Fame manager. He's won two World Series. He, he's helped you win two World Series. And to throw all the blame on him, or to throw stories out about there about marital problems, or about worried about his son who's over in Afghanistan, you know that that was so much garbage. And and you know I, I think ownership over there has to feel lucky in some ways that that veteran writer veteran writers like uh, uh, Joe Giliotti, who used to work for the Boston Herald. And uh, Will McDonough, the late Will McDonough, who wrote uh, for the Boston Globe, that that they're no longer writing. Uh, believe me, because those guys would have done a number on that organization. Jerry, I didn't think what Bob Holler did was right. I understand that it's journalism or anything, but I just thought that was a terrible thing to do. I, I respect Bob. I like Bob. Bob's a friend of mine, a terrific writer. I, I just wonder, you know, a lot of that information had to come from the inside. It didn't come from the players. It didn't come from the coaches. Where does it come from? You know, that, that's a hard journalistic thing to look at. You know, he, he does not work for the Red Sox. Yeah. Uh, I, I, feel, I feel bad because it, it affected a friend of mine, Terry Francona. Uh, but, but if you're a writer and, and you have that information, and, and I've got to feel that some of that had to be hand-fed to him over there. So, so what do you do? I mean, do you, do you, do you throw it aside? Do, do you make that do you make that call on your own as a writer? Do you, do you put it aside when somebody gives you that information? Uh, and, and the stuff about the pain-killing medicine. Uh, you know, yeah. may, may, maybe you put the other stuff in there, but about the pain-killing. This is society today. This is the media today. This is, this is what uh, this country has come to. And I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying it's wrong. But this is, this is what we have. This is what we have in the media. Um, well then, Jerry, my wrong, it's there. my question is then: Why, if we can have st- stories, why can't you have the sources in it then? Because it just—I mean, how do we well, really yeah, know it's credible? Why not? Why, why not have the uh, cojones to say this was said by such and such? Beca- because, uh, listen, uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm already in trouble over there, where you know <laughs> it's, it's cost me jobs elsewhere, but. Uh, someday we'll sit down and we'll have a beer or something, and I'll I'll tell you the rest of the story. Sounds good, maybe, Jerry. Maybe that sounds unfair, but but you know, no, no. When, when you know when you know where the bodies are buried, and and uh, you know it, it. I've been trying to get back into baseball. I know they've cost me at least one job, so I I just. Uh, uh, well, listen, and to Jerry. Some people who told me some things I better not say anymore. Listen, I do the you know I do the Sea Dogs games, and I'm very close to a lot of the front office people: Ben Sherrington, Mike Hazen, Pam mm-hmm. Ganley. So when I was asked to do this show. That was one thing that I was fighting because there's obviously things that I know internally that have gone on. I was at spring training, and luckily uh, uh, Steve Heider of the Paw Sox came on here, and he kind of leaked something out that I never talked about because we were in spring training together, and we thought it was very strange. Jerry, there were tons of guys that refused to travel this year. Uh, A lot of guys just wanted to play in minor league games, and we were down there. And I had never seen that. I've been going to spring training seven years, and it was a bad feeling down there. Oh, that's that's gone on forever, though. That that yeah. that's a fight that goes on forever in spring training. The guys, 
you, you, the the rule is I think it's either three. You must have three of your twenty five man roster or, or proposed twenty five man roster or four accompany you on on a trip. And they've made so many trips across Florida. And, and listen, you know I I I'm not saying it's right, but it goes on with every club. It happens with the Yankees, the Cardinals, everybody. They they try to protect their veteran players so they don't have to go across the state. So so by the fourth or fifth inning of the uh, spring training games. You're watching uh, Portland play uh, yeah. Scranton or something, uh, but that that goes on. That that that's I've been I was in baseball uh, 19 years, and that that's been yeah. going on for for longer than 19 years. Yeah, you so know what? That, that that there's a lot of that, but yeah, I mean I've worked for NFL clubs, NHL clubs, uh, NBA, and uh, Major League Baseball. I did a talk show down in Houston for for 20 some years. So yeah, you, you, there, there's a filter you have to have, and there's a line you have to walk. I go by the theory: what you hear in the dressing room or the clubhouse stays there. Yeah, um, you know. And if somebody tells you something off the record, it stays off the record. Jerry Trumpiano joining us on the Saturday morning jab. We got about uh, a minute left. Let's uh, quickly go to football. Who do you like as maybe a sleeper to win it all? I worry about the Patriots. I worry about that defense. Sooner or later, let's let's say they they get through the uh, AFC and, and go on to the uh, Super Bowl. If, if they have to play somebody like uh, the Saints uh, in the Super Bowl, the Green Bay Packers uh, with the Drew Brees at the helm and uh, of New Orleans or an Aaron Rodgers with the Packers, uh, you know, if they get into a they have to get into a, a shootout. I'd take those clubs over the Patriots because they've been through a number of shootouts this year, and their defense, I would give an edge over the Patriots' defense. All right, Jerry, thanks for the time. I'd love to have you on again. All right, take care. All right. I might be calling you to ask you to sit in the booth. (laughs) I'd love to. Take care. Jerry Trumpiano, former voice of the Boston Red Sox. Hopefully he gets back into baseball. Great interview. Thank him for doing that. That was fantastic. We never uh, had that drink. And, and talked about things off the air, but um, boy, what a, what a great guy. And I know that he had a, a terrific relationship with Terry Francona. I hope you enjoyed that. We're going to kind of relive some baseball people from the 2004 Red Sox in, in that era, which was special to all. That will do it for another episode. Make sure to like, subscribe, comment, feedback, guest requests. We take it all. Peace and love. Out, out.